So, girls. Yes? If you had to base your society or culture on a particular singular fruit, what would that fruit be? Um, the only, Blueberries? I like blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good for you, too. I was going to say strawberries. I knew you were going to. How'd you know that? Because you like strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> this rationale is much less interesting than I expected. <laughs> what did you want from us? <laughs> I don't know. Why strawberries? Well, okay. They're delicious, number one. Number two, they look cool. And their seeds are on the outside. So what does that represent in your society? (laughs) (laughs) They wear their hearts on their sleeves. (laughs) I was going to say banana, just because the opportunities for silliness are endless. At the very least, you've got banana phones. Banana phone. (laughs) (laughs) You've also got just like silly banana props. And I think that a society built around... I mean, a banana prop could be anything. It could be a gun. It could be a phone. It could be a blow dryer. It could be a sickle with which to reap grains. It could be any number of things as long as they're curved. And then you could have art that is based around the symbol of the banana. You could have great sculptures. Well, you could have that with any fruit. I will have art based off blueberries. Okay, but you didn't say that. I... So, of course, the reason that we're talking about this is because in The Princess Diaries, Genovian society places an incredibly central role on pears. They're famous for them, we're told, they in are. one of the it's dining probably scenes. probably a native fruit. Yeah, but like, for example, to the point that... They, Genovian to the point pear that juggler? They have the Genovian pear juggler. They have the famous Genovian pear and, and cheese, cheese dessert. <laughs> Which... Frankly, is not a dessert. Fiona, if you were given pears and cheese and told it was dessert, how would you feel? I would throw a tantrum. But they also did have ice cream. It was just between the courses to cleanse Here's the palate. Their palate cleanser is pear-flavored ice cream. It doesn't make any it, sense. Pear? I thought it was mint because it's like a bright Here's green. It looks like mint green, but I don't believe it's mint. I always believed that it's flavorless. I've... <laughs> Always believed that it was paired. Do they not say that? No, they no. just say between the courses to cleanse the but palate. Mint would make sense because that, like, you have a mint, yeah, a breath mint to cleanse your tongue palate. and breath. And I have always believed that it was pear flavored. No, it's too green to be pears. Yeah, if, I, I feel, feel like it would mint be is not mint ice cream doesn't have to be green. No, but That's like food a coloring. mint leaf is a dark green, whereas a pear is like a much yellower green. Like, and I feel like if it were supposed to be pear ice cream, it would not be that shade of green. It would look. That's why they color it a different way, <laughs> so it doesn't look gross. <laughs> I think more is probably right. It's probably mint. It's just very strange. Their obsession with pears, like they've got pears in their flower bouquets. They've okay, got... fine. What you're not obsessed with Old Bay? You don't think that's any weirder? I'm not obsessed with Old okay, Bay. Well, some people but are. The state of Maryland is as a society slash culture. That's true. One time I was at the grocery store and I saw a T-shirt that was a Maryland crab shaking Old Bay on itself, and the Old Bay falling on it was turning the crab into the Maryland flag. That's wonderful. It was the most over-the-top thing I've ever seen. That sounds horrible. (laughs) I would have bought one if they had it in my size. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. We have those shirts, they have a pear juggler. Get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but I don't juggle cans of Old Bay. Okay, but you would buy a t-shirt with Old Bay, so... Also, I bet somewhere out there, there is an Old Bay juggler. Old Bay juggler, if you're here... (laughs) Tweet at the podcast, hashtag Old Bay Jugglin. That's Jugglin, just ending with an N. And we would love to have you on. No, no. You can't have an apostrophe in a hashtag. They don't include punctuation. Get with it. Sorry. Anyway, tweet at us. We'll have you on the show and we'll all listen to the sound of you juggling Old Bay. Hashtag Old Bay Jugglin. And Fiona and Mora apparently prepared nothing for this. So I guess we'll start with the episode. What do you mean we prepared nothing? Oh, for the fruit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I prepared that I was going to pick a strawberry. <laughs> I knew she was going to pick a strawberry. Does that count as preparing? This is, I no, knowing what she was going to say is not preparing. I knew she would choose that, so I had to pick a new one. Entanglement. Ah! What? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Fiona listened to an NPR podcast about entanglement, and we believe that we, the two of us together, have undergone that. Which is what? That you have the same brain? Basically. Not really, but it's like they're connected on an. Uh, um, I don't remember. <laughs> some atomic level or something. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, it is time for Heart of Podness. I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. I'm Fiona. I'm also a ginger. And I'm Mora, and for once, I'm not here because I'm a nurse. So, obviously, things are a little bit off this week. Mark is still traveling the world. He hasn't exactly told me where he is. I think he's on the run from the law. Is he implicated in the Michael Cohen thing? Maybe? He hasn't told me he's not. So, can't rule that out. Anyway, in lieu of Mark... I have brought in both of my sisters to help out this week, and of course this is still a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense, and are these people actually dateable or even likable? Mark may not be here, but it still does not matter if that is a one-scene flirtation or the main plot of the movie. We will dig in and see what's there, and for an episode with all three of us, I figured that we should do a movie we all know very well. Gary Marshall's 2001 royal teenage romance, The Princess Diaries. What a great film. All-time favorite. So, I don't think I saw this movie in theaters, but it's one of those ones that I have no memory of seeing for the first time, because I've seen it so many times. <laughs> I'm sure we, like, rented it from Blockbuster or something. Oh, we definitely did. And that's probably where I saw it for the first time. I don't time. know. I feel like we probably owned it pretty early on. No, we... We ended up buying it from Blockbuster after renting it so many times, I think. What? No, that's not true. We have it on DVD. Yeah, we do. That was not a Blockbuster purchase. Just Blockbuster saying. rented DVDs. You could buy stuff there, too. Yes. But we didn't buy it from them. Sure. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. Do you guys have any strong childhood memories of The Princess Diaries? Well, Fiona and I used to always count how many times Michael stares off at Mia. We have a list. We'll share it with you. Okay, good. That seems like it's going to be relevant, because there is much less romance in this movie than I remembered. Yeah, it's just looks. The yeah. romance is mostly held off for the sequel. Yeah, with Chris Pine. Yeah. The sequel Who is... Who is much better looking and a better catch than Michael Moskovitz is. Yes. And also has more personality and speaks more. So Chris Pine is a better dude. The movie is worse. It's still good, though. It's a fun movie. It is. It's a movie in which Christopher Pine is descended from Machiavelli. Supposedly. Well, I think he is. He's, movie. like, pretty... It's oh, never I'm presented as being dubious. Up. No, I think he It is presented is. as a fact. Oh. He's, like, his great-great-grandfather or yeah, something. Yeah, I thought he was just making that up. No, I don't think so. There's no reason to believe that. Well, there's no reason to believe him. The Princess Diaries 2, A Royal Engagement, is a wild movie. It's great. I don't know. I just feel like maybe we did see it in theaters, though. But I saw Princess Diaries 2 in did. theaters. I think we probably did, because I remember... I think it came out when I was in, like, third grade or something. Do you know this, Will? Oh, 2001. So, Princess Diaries came out on August 3rd, 2001. Okay, well, just kidding. I was in first grade then. But I remember, I think when I was in, like, third grade, maybe that's when the second one came out, having an argument at lunch with one of my friends who was trying to tell me that Genovia was a real country. And I It is not. not. That's why its anthem sounds suspiciously like, oh, Canada. Yeah, and she was just, like, adamant that it was a real country. And I was like, it's just not. I think it's supposed to be Andorra. They say it's between France and Spain in one movie. They do say that. It was a question on Jeopardy. Really? Yeah, that's how the person knows the answer. Okay. This movie came out on uh, August 3rd, 2001, so it's an August release. It's kind of to the tail end of summer when you're not expecting something to make a ton of money, but it did. This movie actually did incredibly well. It had a $26 million budget, but went on to make $108 million, which is really impressive. A $100 million movie in 2001 starring... A woman who had never been in a movie previously, this is Anne Hathaway's debut, and it wound up coming in at 19th overall for the year between Black Hawk Down and Vanilla Sky in a year that was led off with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Fellowship of the Ring, Shrek. Like, this is a year with heavy hitters. Princess Diaries still cracking that top 20. Makes me so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Fiona, you read the books. How does it compare to that? Uh, well... The first movie is closest to the books, but the whole premise of the book is that it is her diary. So you never really get that in the movies at all. But you so it's all really... first person just like recording what happened. Yeah, basically. The books are definitely for slightly more mature audiences. What does that mean? It means some of the topics they talk about aren't quite appropriate for six-year-olds. For six-year-olds? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was in like first grade when this movie came out. I probably saw it when it came out. Yeah, and there's stuff, and so Maura saw the movie, but there's stuff in the books that she wouldn't have read in first grade. And some of the plot things are a little bit different. I, d- I don't remember exactly. It's been a while since I read the book. She, like, stays with Michael, right? It's not like he just goes off to tour yes. the country with his band like no. he does at the end of the first He goes one. to college. Well, okay, so that's one big thing is that they don't live in San Francisco in the books. They live in Greenwich Village. 
in New York, and Michael goes, I think, to NYU or Columbia, one of those schools. So he goes off to college, but they stay together while he's in college and she's in high school. And in the book, also, her dad is still alive, and her dad is a part of this whole thing. Yeah, and he kind of travels back and forth between New York and Genovia, and she meets up with him, and she'll, like, go out with her dad and her grandmother and things like that. So her dad's still alive, but she still doesn't know that he's the crown prince of Genovia? Yeah, I don't remember what the story was there. Her dad does have cancer in the book, I think, though. Um, he's also still trying to find a male heir, I believe. And... So he was still alive in the first version of the script. The dad was going to be a part of it. It was also going to be set in New York. Actually, the first draft of the script was called Princess of Tribeca, setting it in New York. But then they cast Julie Andrews as the grandma, and they called up the author of the books, Meg Cabot, and they were like, yo, we're cutting the dad from the script. And she's like, why not? And they're like, we don't need her anymore. We've cast Julie Andrews as the grandma and can give her all of the dad's lines. And Meg Cabot was like, yep, sounds good. <laughs> I'm glad that Meg Cabot appreciates... Andrews the same way I do. I knew we were going to have to talk about this at some point. <laughs> I was hoping that would come up. So, oh, Fiona, we need to talk about the fact that you are a menace to society. That's not true. Fiona loves calling Julie Andrews Jandrews. Because we're on a nickname basis. <laughs> what does she call you? Whatever she wants. Could you give us an example? Fierce. She calls you hashtag Fierce? Yeah, she does. Is Jandrews a listener? Yeah, she is, definitely. Oh, great. Yeah. Wow, Jandrews, if you're listening, you here, tweet at us. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. <laughs> hashtag Jandrews. Hashtag We Love the Love. Yeah, no, she's a big fan. So, speaking of Julie Andrews, I don't know what exactly you want to focus on. I assume we're going to be focusing on the romance between Mia and Michael. Yes. But another great romance in this movie that's only kind of touched on is the romance between Julie Andrews, Queen Clarice, and Hector Elizondo's Joe. I love him. So that was not scripted. Really? In the script as written, there's no romance between the two of them, but the two of them... So he never says, you've been wearing black for too long? So the two the of them script? felt this chemistry on set and decided to start playing with it, up to and including this scene where they dance together was the two of them improvising and riffing and they creating this romance what? off script. What? And that's entirely Julie Andrews and Hector Elizondo. So do you think if that hadn't happened, then they wouldn't get married at the end of the second movie? That was my exact question. <laughs> You know, I don't think the arc of the second movie was part of their priority when they were developing. I'm just wondering if they, that, like, if they hadn't been doing that though, like, then if I guess that not. Would not have so, been part of the movie. Probably like, not. Was the second one already being written when this happened, and did they have to quick change the ending? I would suspect no. I would suspect they did not plan on making a second one until this made a hundred million dollars. Okay. That's probably true. Although, it's interesting because this movie comes out in a really interesting period in Disney's history as a company. This is a period where Michael Eisner is president of the corporation, and the studio, as sort of the animated renaissance begins to fade, this is the year of The Emperor's New Groove, which a lot of people consider like the tail end of that. It moves into this period of developing a lot of live-action movies under the Disney Studios banner as their animated stuff sort of falls into this fallow period of things like the example I always think of is Home on the Range, a movie that nobody saw and everybody forgot. And instead, at the same time, the live-action studio is making this. They're making National Treasure. They're making Pirates of the Caribbean. Some lesser <coughs> movies based on rides like The Country Bears. Haunted Mansion. The Haunted Mansion. There's oh. this <laughs> redevelopment of live-action Disney films, and this is kind of at the beginning of it. And similarly to that Eisner strategy of producing tons of sequels, The Princess Diaries 2, while it makes sense with that $100 million box office, also fits into that find what works and just keep making more of it. I just wish, I feel like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, they talk about it a lot when you talk about Disney, and they talk about all sorts of stuff. And I just feel like this is the forgotten gem. This movie deserves more recognition than it gets. What do you mean? Like Fiona's saying, it's just not talked about as much, like, you know, I don't know, it just... In what way should it be talked about? I feel like people remember it fondly. Oh, people remember it fondly, but I just feel like... Like, okay, so here's one thing. We were on the cruise, and I was shocked to hear uh, the score from this movie playing. Yes, uh-huh. Because it's not like a song that people... Do you mean like the instrumental score? Or yes, do you mean Miracles Happen? No, 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 no. The, the instrumental, instrumental music. Score. I we suppose it's less iconic because yes. there are fewer like sing-along melodies that come out of it. I could sing along to the instrumental score. do 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 do
So for years, people involved have claimed that there is a script for a third movie involved. I've been hearing that. And that the death of Gary Marshall potentially set that back as Gary Marshall died and that kind of robbed some of the steam. But by the same token, there is some movement from people like Anne Hathaway saying like, hey, this would be a cool thing to do to honor Gary Marshall. Since that. he has passed. Yes. And pre- presumably bringing back some of those people like Hector Elizondo, who is, in, who is in all of Gary Marshall's movies, or the guy who played Paolo, who was in a lot of Gary Marshall movies, and he plays Paolo Pudinesca in this movie. But this actor's name is Larry Miller. This is no Italian <laughs> man. This is a stereotype with a hairbrush. <laughs> I enjoyed how his last name is Putinesca. I never really like thought That's about that. That's like a that series of unfortunate time. events name. Yeah. Well, it is. Oh, because they make pasta Putinesca. Yeah. yeah. And well, at the this. end of this movie, when they're dancing at the ball, Gary Marshall is dancing too. Yes, he's on set, yes. which is one of two appearances he was originally set to make in the movie. Oh, oh he was supposed to be the pizza scene. guy. Yeah. yeah. If you have and this he's movie, a gr- he's a grumpy pizza. If guy. you have this movie on DVD, so the movie's on Netflix. Watch it. If you haven't seen it in a while. But if you have it on DVD, the deleted scenes are well worth watching. Not because they're good, because they really all deserved to be cut out of the movie. None of them none of them is so good that you're like, this belonged in the no, movie. I agree. For a movie that is two hours. None of them a needed to be two there. Hours. Best two hours of my life. On the DVD, those scenes are like introduced. Each one of them <laughs> is introduced by Gary Marshall. And every one of those introductions is comedy gold. The best one is when, <laughs> when he's sitting in the chair with his head down. And all of a sudden, he pops up with his eyes wide open and goes, I'm awake! And it's just Gary I think the Marshall. The first time we watched exuberant. that on DVD, we rewound it and like watched him saying, "I'm awake." I'm awake six times in a row. I'm Gary Marshall, and I'm just so happy to be here to talk to you about the Princess Diaries. I'm oh, awake, Gary. <laughs> Here's the thing, is like, that idea of rewinding it to watch I'm Awake over and over again, that is my memory of this movie. <laughs> that like, is what this watching is a movie... movies with Fiona was like growing up. This is a movie... We watched Holes? <laughs> I cannot watch this movie <laughs> seriously, Sir. because... Every time I watch it, I'm like, every fifth line, I'm like, oh, this is a line that has been beaten to death in my life by Fiona, who will rewind the same dumb line in a movie over and over again, so that when I watch movies with other people, I'll lose it at a perfectly innocuous line. Like, for example, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I'll be watching it with people, and they'll fly the Fort Anglia to the borough and they'll walk in and one of the Weasley twins will open the door and he will whisper ushering them in okay come on this line is not funny it is not delivered particularly well at all but and yet Fiona rewound that scene perhaps a dozen times before we were allowed to move on that was like in holes at one point someone is asking Mr. Sir to do something he goes I ain't on stupid pills. And we had to watch that about five times too and Fiona cackled every time. So watching a movie with Fiona, this is like when we talked about on The Parent Trap how Fiona was going to mouth every line along with the movie. It's because she's watched each snippet of it a dozen times each in the course of watching a movie. So while this movie, I say, oh, it's two hours and Morris says, it's a great two hours. Maybe. But when you watch it with Fiona, it's at least three hours. Let me just tell you. I... I recited almost half the movie along with it when I was watching it for this. <laughs> and the Harry Potter scene, he just says it so perfectly in his little British accent. Everyone in that movie has a British accent. Yeah, but the way he whispered it was just stellar. Come on. Okay, come on. I ain't on stupid pills. <laughs> You're a menace. Okay, so last fun fact before we move on into the main body of this movie. The Princess Diaries was produced by none other than... Uh, Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. And yeah. Shauna Rhimes wrote the second one. Really? I, didn't know that. I did not know that. I know got it, but I knew it. So, shocking, exciting stuff. And I think with that bomb dropped, we should move on and talk a little bit about the plot. So, you have written up five points for us mm-hmm. to explore the romance of this movie. The romance, like I said, is much less of the movie than I expected. This really gets going into the princess part of the plot line much faster than I thought. In my memory, it was a lot of high school stuff and then princess stuff. But Julie Andrews tells her she's a princess at the 13-minute mark of this movie. It's fast. So, Fiona, why don't you take us away with point number one? All right, so point number one, I just want to... Well, and I never really noticed this until watching it this time, but they really don't interact that much. No, they don't. And even when they're on screen together, it's very few words. Uh, It's a lot of looks. 
which we can get to later. It's very teenage. This is like a very teenage romance. Yeah. So the first point, though, is, so Mia, she's got this car. She's not 16, but she has a car. And it's a pretty crappy car. So it's in the shop. I don't even know what the work that they have to do on it is. They just say it's a lot, that it basically doesn't run. Her mom, like, got a bunch of money to buy her this Mustang for her birthday, but it doesn't actually work. Yeah, and so it turns out that all the work is going to cost $400. So luckily enough, though, this car shop is where Michael works. Specifically, his band is allowed to practice there, and in exchange, Michael works there. It's not clear that he gets paid to work there. It kind of seems like it's an exchange of services, where he gets to use it as a venue in exchange for his labor. We find out that he does get paid, though, because Mia is shocked at the price, and she is just kind of like, well, I guess we'll see what happens. And Michael then offers to do some labor free. Oh, which is leading into a classic Fiona line. I love this part, because then Doc goes, oh. I'll do some labor free. You uh, sweet on her? No, she's my sister's best friend. Yeah, that's the hardest place to be between a friend and a friendlier. See, I don't even have to watch this movie. <laughs> so, yes. I like sometimes they, you like putting clips of the movie. You won't need to do that for this. Fiona and I can do it for you. Like they just related, Michael offered to do work on Mia's car for free because he is in love with Mia. Before this, we had seen him and his band jamming out at Doc's auto shop he's like playing keyboard and there are m&ms on his keyboard because he's obsessed with m&ms because he's a bad boy i don't know he's really into m&ms it's a weird character trait okay it bothers me every time yes yes. that the girls who are sitting there watching the band they say he fixes cars he plays guitar and he can sing he is so cool and then at that point they show michael playing piano and then afterwards the girls are talking to one of the guitar players and i never understand why if they're talking about someone who plays guitar they show michael after a lot of the cutaway dialogue in this movie doesn't make a ton of sense it's like somebody wrote a bunch of lines that like sound cool in this environment and then also they had a story and they mixed them together and they didn't always work together this is a movie that i like a lot but not all of the dialogue really works in the movie it seems like it's referring to nothing well i also noticed a lot of stuff in this movie this time around like so mr o'connell is the her like public speaking teacher and then later on he's giving them a pop quiz on the french revolution and i'm like wait what is this the same class still? and it's in the band room and then there's also, a sousaphone in the back when he when uh mia is playing baseball in her gym class mr o'connell is like the first base coach and the vice principal is leading the cheerleaders and i'm like why is everybody at this gym class what's the deal with the cheerleaders in this school they're hanging out outside of school before the school day doing cheers about themselves and everybody's just paying attention to that yeah yeah that's uh high school in california i guess i'm certain that's not true question speaking of mr o'connell How is there not some sort of school policy against dating a parent, a parent of someone who is in your class? There should be. That seems like an ethical, you know, problem. Yeah. Except that this school clearly has no issues being weird about students in general. It's stunning to me that Sandra Oh, who plays the vice principal, when she sees Lily and Mia and doesn't know who Mia is, greets them as Lily and (laughs) Lily's friend. Because if there's one thing that's true about teachers, it's that you get good at pretending to know who people are. I do it all the time. I don't know who anybody is, but but I can fake it. And it's stunning to me that Sandra Oh would make it so obvious. But I feel like that is actually a good point to bring up, just to get a context of what Mia is like at the start of this movie. She's like invisible. And so like she says hi to the principal. The principal refers her as Lily's friend. At the start of the movie, someone sits on Mia and she, when she sees Lily, she goes, someone sat on me again, which means this is a common occurrence that happens. And I just feel like that's important to bring up. And she is like a full-on nobody. What's a bummer is that by focusing on the romance, we're kind of ignoring the best parts of this movie. Yeah. Because the romance, like Fiona said, is barely in this movie at all. And we've done movies where there wasn't a lot of romance. Like in Ghostbusters, I thought that focusing on the romance revealed to us what a dirtbag Peter Venkman was. And in National Treasure, it was a funny thing to laugh at because there should have been no romance in that movie. Whereas in this movie, there's so much going on that I feel like reducing it just to Michael and Mia takes us away from what's interesting about this movie. Like, for example, the fact that I believe the... Who are the, who are the mean people? The Baron and the Baroness? Oh, yes. yeah, and Froken. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they're murdering their way to the throne. 
Maybe. Because they are clearly openly conniving to take over Genovia. Well, I to the love point it. that, like, the prime minister is giving toast, like, may you always be barren. And that. everyone knows what's so going funny. on. And, like, he could cover enough by being like, yeah, I'm rooting for you to never lose your title. But everyone knows he's being like, you're never gonna be king. And here's the deal the reason that I think they're not just dirtbags, but that I think they're murderers who are trying to assassinate their way to the throne Macbeth style, is that in the movie, we find out, Lily tells us fairly callously that. Mia's dad died two months ago. Because when Mia mentions her dad being dead, Lily is like, you're still upset about that? That was two months ago. <laughs> that's the worst. That gets me every time. So Mia's dad died two months ago. We later hear that it was in a horrible accident. We all know what that means. <laughs> horrible accidents are never that, especially with royals. Then later, we find out that the king... Clarice's husband died just a year ago. So this is the king and the heir dead within a year. That's true. With no obvious heir. This is a conspiracy to take the throne. The Baron and Baroness are very sketchy. And they try to steal a vase at the end. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the movie also tells us that if Mia doesn't take the throne, it will be the end of Genovia as they know it. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I assume the Baron and Baroness are absolutists who want to restore the monarchy to complete control of Genovia. But there are some pretty clear stakes here and some power-hungry people who I'd bet we know they're willing to steal, they're probably willing to kill their way to power. You should start an investigation. This is a fictional story, so I do not need to investigate anything. But this is my conspiracy theory that I believe. The Princess Diaries, beneath it all, is a story of murder and assassination in pursuit of the throne. I think that's a great theory. That's Princess Diaries 3. They have to deal with the traitors. Well, they're probably somehow related to Nicholas's uncle then. Which means they're related to Machiavelli. Machiavelli. And it all makes sense. The other thing about this all is that Julie Andrews is a huge jerk in this movie. And that if anybody else was cast, we would hate her. Well, and in the book... She's not so nice. I mean, she calls in Mia, has her stand there, while Julie Andrews just criticizes her extensively for her appearance, tells her she needs to change her entire self, negs her constantly. There's very little to like about her for the first half of the movie, except that she's Julie Andrews. They're counting on that to get us on board. Well, I do feel pretty bad after Paolo is finished with the, like, big makeover, she goes, better, much better. Right, not even even good. She doesn't even say good. She says, better than the crap that she was before. And here's the thing, is that she didn't even look that bad before. No! No! The other thing I didn't like, well, not that I didn't like, but about this point is how Michael offers to do this free labor, and I don't even think she says thank you. I She's think, so I just, weird. I think she scoots on out of there on I, her scooter. I think she just says, like, oh, no, I'll just talk to my grandma about it. Like, oh, why okay. wouldn't you just be like, oh, yeah, sure. Or, like, thanks. address that incredibly generous offer. Yeah. Mia's a weird kid. She, well, she's awkward. Right. She's weird. She's awkward. Her friend is super weird. I oh. love the conversation. She has some, like, otter backpack that's super Lily weird. does. Yeah. I love the conversation the first time we see Mia fantasizing about making out with Josh. <laughs> and Lily brings her back to the earth and says, I thought you were going all a crowd on me. This is on a summer's And Mia goes, ha, negative. And I'm like, the two of you are such weirdos. And I like it. Isn't it but you're such weirdos. Wait, I have a fun fact about Josh that I did not know until, like, two days. Ago. I know what you're gonna say, and I can't believe you didn't know this. He is the voice of Sid from Toy Story. What? Yeah. I did not know that. I was Eric looking Bond people Dan. up from this movie, and that's what I found out. That's wild. He's also in some Disney Channel original movie, too. Yeah, but that one was not as exciting to me, because I hadn't seen that. Oh, okay. Okay, before I move on real quick, why is the Queen of Genovia in the United States for her country's Independence Day ball? So I thought about that, too. My guess is that they usually have the ball in Genovia. Yes, but as since, would make sense. Since she was here to reveal herself She could have come Mia. any time of year. It no, did not have to be this time. for this, and then they would have the big ball in San Francisco and try to build up support for Genovia and their American princess. That's fair. I don't know. No one in Genovia knows Mia, so, like, maybe by having the ball where she could be... They, they could, could have had a different ball. Over there, you know? It's Independence Day from some okay. country. All right, all right. So I guess if our president were away having a ball in Italy on the 4th of July, it would be We would say weird. it's weird. Yes, okay. I don't know, though, would we? If he was, like, already there in July, and he was, like, well, We would think it's weird for the president to be away on the 4th of July at all. Well, I guess so. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying, this monarchy could use a shake-up, and the Baron and the Baroness might be the right people Although, for here's it. here's the question. How, what's the population of Genovia? Maybe yeah, it's pretty small. Maybe they're all there, too. That is the completely implausible. They're not. 
Because we um, only see nobles, so either there is this is a weird socialist society that has given everyone noble titles. Elsie Kentworthy is not at the ball. Oh my gosh. Egg Sunny Side Up is Scottish. She is like there. Genovia is a cultural mess. There are definitely Genovian Scots. And also, they are close training partners with Spain, we learned, because the quickest way to a Spanish heart is dance. I think they also meet with Portugal, Portugal quite frequently. Yes. She's late for her meeting with Spain and Portugal. Well, I'm late for a meeting with my guidance counselor. Okay. Um, I guess that was point number one. She scoots away <laughs> yeah. after the offer. Remember scooters? Okay, I was going to say, when I was watching this movie and Mia and Lily are, like, scooting to school, I was like, wow, this is old. Except it's not anymore because now everyone's scooters are back. scooters again. Except, like... Here's what bothered me, though, is that they... Pushed these scooters up the hill. And they're motor scooters. Yeah, that's what they're for, to get you up the hill. Why are you getting it up the hill? But I feel like 2001 was like peak scooter, when like every cool kid had a scooter and was riding around town on it. Yeah, and they had electric scooters, which was like peak coolness. Right. And yet, somehow scooters are back. And scooters are like kind of ridiculous. Well, they require less work than a bike, maybe. But they're less efficient. <laughs> but they're less clunky than a Segway. And... If your options are a bike, Segway, or scooter. I feel like those three things are not any one person's options. Well, those are walking. I guess. Scooters are weird. I will say, one of the things I like about this, I was listening to Storm of Spoilers this week, and they were. this is now several weeks ago by the time this episode comes out, and Neil Miller was talking about what makes a great rom-com. And he was saying a great rom-com is one where you can feel its sense of place, where you feel like the experience of being in whatever place it's set, because... A lot of dating is experiencing the city that you're dating in to an extent that you wouldn't if you were not dating, going out, trying different things reflective of that city. And this is a movie that really feels like San Francisco in a lot of ways. The hills are such a part of its transitions, of the way that it's set. The old firehouse that Mia and her mom live in somehow captures that vibe, the verticality that we talked about in the Vertigo episode. I think this movie captures that idea really well. How did they afford that place in San Francisco? I'm guessing that it was like a really run down when they bought it. It was like just a junked out shell and that Helen filled it in. I always wanted a room like Mia's though because I think it's so cool. There's like the fireman's pole, but also she has like her room, but then that like upper room. Too, it's basically the, the house from PB and J Otter. The tower, tower. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, before I think before we move on to the our next point, we need to talk about some of the Michael, the moments where Michael stares. I feel like we kind of missed some of those. So there's the first one that I think we mentioned when Mia is like daydreaming about kissing Josh and then like you see Michael at his locker with Jeremiah like staring off at them. And then there's another one at the music rehearsal where um Well Michael singing... plays piano for the choir. Yes, and they're singing Catch a Falling Star and while Michael is playing piano, he like looks up and stares at Mia. I assume there are still M&Ms on that keyboard. I was going to say that. I think he can only play with M&Ms. And then the next one I noticed is when he says like, "Oh, I'll do some labor free on your car." Once Mia walks away and Doc walks away too, Michael is still just like staring off at where Mia just left. Speaking even post makeover, the scene where Michael and Lily first see her with the makeover, Lily's going on about how weird it is and Michael Michael says, but it's like an attractive weird. Yeah, and he's just so, like, like, which is like one of the first moments that we get to flat out like somebody saying like, "I'm into you." Yeah, and like Lily just gets in the car, and Michael is still just standing there, like staring at her in the car. And when he opens the door, it's kind of like, "Whoa, yeah." This is actually then after they walk away, we see Michael walking away, blowing on his harmonica, which is what he does anytime he's not talking to somebody. Like he's some kind of hobo beetle wandering <laughs> through the universe, like John Lennon with no money, just like I'm going around. Playing my harmonica, got nothing to do but a song in my heart. <laughs> well, and when but that happens, he looks back. He does. Again. There's another look there. But the actor who played Michael is in a band. Yeah, he's oh, an actual musician called Rooney. I know nothing about them other than the fact that this guy, don't know his real name, Michael. Michael is in it. Oh. As opposed to in the movie where his band's name is Flypaper. Fly We're flying away. So take us to point number two before we just talk about weird stuff for the rest of the episode. Okay, so in point number two, uh, Michael asks Mia if she's free on Saturday so that they, he says they can fix her car together and get pizza and M&Ms um, and there will be music. Yeah, he says he's, his band is, it's not a show, but they've like written two new songs. Yeah, they're be working trying out. them out. And he's like, and we could work on my car, on the car Your together. Car. And Mia goes, oh, you mean like a date? And he goes, no, just hanging out. Which is, I which don't defines, understand why he says no. It's so high school. I love it. I love how 
horrifically awkward the romance is in this movie. He could have just said yes, and then she would have been like, great, let's hang out. But that would be weird. Set. That would be changing the status yeah. quo that they've settled into. I love it. The fact that she brought it up, he could have been like, yeah, sure. Do you want it to be? And yeah. the, tone, the tone that he says it in is kind of like, ugh, no, why would you think that? Yeah. Because he's so surprised. He's been living in his head for so long, being like, nothing's gonna happen here. I'm just in love with her. I'm gonna make the car for her. I'm gonna fix it all on my own. I'm gonna try to get her to listen to my music, but it's not a date. It can't be a date. What? No, no, no. And then she goes, will there be pizza? And he's like, yes, of course. Of course there'll be pizza. And it's like, with M&M's on it? Because that's a thing that humans do, apparently. Put M&M's in their pizza. Fiona, you've tried this. I have. Is it any good? It is disgusting. (laughs) It looks that way. Here's the thing, is that when your pizza's warm and you put the M&M's on it, they they start to melt. And then you've got little candy coating coloring all your pizza. And you got green, like melted goo on your pizza and the chocolate doesn't taste good with the pizza and it really is pretty disgusting because these are children and they have terrible taste that's the thing is mia is 15 yeah she's a kid yeah oh yeah she's very young so michael says no to it being a date but they agree to meet nonetheless and it seems like kind of exciting but then it's right then they get to school and the san francisco chronicle which frankly is too good a newspaper to pay for stories has bought the story of mia's princess dumb from paolo pudanesca yep which leads to sandra o's best scene in the movie <laughs> Gotta. Mm-hmm. 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 the queen is coming and then I love when the queen gets there and she's like, her hands are trembling and she's like, I'm sorry, we don't have finer china. And then she turns to Helen with a styrofoam cup and just goes, here. Yeah. This is a pre-Grey's Anatomy Sandra Oh and she's great. And she fawns over the queen while asking what it's like to have people fawning all over her. The other thing I liked was the one reporter who had a tie and a button-up shirt and a suit jacket on and then he had cargo shorts and flip-flops. Oh, yeah. The other fun thing I noticed about Mia in this window, there's a scene where we see her go to her locker. I assume this is another scene where we see her imagining she's making out with Josh. Happens a couple times. And I noticed that the only decoration on Mia's locker, and we see other people whose lockers are like covered in different stuff on the inside. Mia just has a calculator taped to the inside door of her locker. And let me tell you, in the books, she is terrible at math. She is going to algebra tutoring nonstop, and she is terrible. Wow, can we get a fact check, Meg Kabat? Or worse, Gina Wendkos, who wrote the screenplay, and frankly, not many other screenplays, which is weird, because this movie is fun. It is good. She wrote the sequel, and Coyote Ugly, and very little else. Anyway, so does that take us to point three? Because she's, like, agreed to hang out with Michael, and she's also agreed to go on Lily's talk show. (laughs) To talk about, like, the Otter Rescue Project or something. Now that she has been outed as a princess, Lily's like, great, you can use your princess status to bring attention to this important issue, the rescue of otters. Because Lily is, like, a high school radical, which means she's into every cause and outraged about every cause, but doesn't really know what to do about any cause, except talk on her cable access show. And she's excited that Mia could potentially bring some attention. So she schedules her for a show which is called Fiona. Shut up and listen. Tell us about your board game. <laughs> it's unwinnable. Fiona created a board game this. one time this was called with, like Rachel and Josh. They created a board game called Shut Up and Listen, which was unwinnable because there was a it was a there game were all these spots that sent you backwards and the way they were spaced out you could never get to the front. Yeah. So it was just a stupid game that required you to shut up and never win the game. <laughs> haven't sold it yet. Much like watching a movie with Fiona, it constantly sent you backwards and you were never able to reach the conclusion. Um, I do, though, while we're talking about shut up and listen, I feel like we need to just talk about the phrase shut up in this movie because this episode would be remiss if we did not talk about when Queen Clarice is shocked that Mia uses the phrase shut up and one of her little workers has to come be like, in America, shut up doesn't always mean be quiet. Here it can mean wow, gee whiz, golly wally. And I want us to make the phrase golly wally become standard in everyday conversation. So the thing I like about that is that then later when Mia tells Lily about being a princess, which is a thing we don't actually see. It takes place behind a tree and we don't hear the conversation. What we do see is Lily takes a step back and says, shut up three times, which is reinforcing that idea that this is how they interact. It's not there for the one-off joke with Clarice. It actually is built in as the way they talk. And it actually comes back in the second one Mm -hmm. where they're in the parliament and the queen Clarice actually says, shut up. See, that feels like a lazy joke to me. All the men are horrified. And I I think the prime minister minister jumps in and says, oh, it means wow, gee whiz, golly wally. See, that feels dumb to me. Oh, I love it. I appreciate it. So why is it that Mia is so mad about this? Wait, about, sorry, about what? what? About about the revelations in this movie. Oh, because she's been lied to. So, Fiona, how do you think that feels? 
You may not have experienced this before. This is what happens when someone tells you something that's not true. I that and I won't respond to it. And yeah, you have you to deal with like. the revelation. This is probably an alien concept to you. I thought you would empathize with the queen and Helen. No, I mean, you don't want to tell a five-year-old, hey, you're a princess, because then she'll turn into a brat and go around school telling all the little girls, well, you have to do what I say. Yeah, I'm but you can tell her before she's 15. Well, they were going to tell her when she was 16. They said they 18. They were going to tell her when she was 18, but then okay. her dad died. Okay. I was just curious what you would think about a movie that's based around somebody being upset about being lied to. It, it is a great movie. <laughs> so you are, just to be clear, you remain pro-lies. <laughs> I did not say those words. Maura, do you have any Fiona lies you'd like to share with us? I shared my favorite last time I was on the show. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'll think of some See, as we go. that many. Oh, okay. Well, did you guys talk on a previous episode about the Beau Brons? I think you did. We did you talk guys. about the Beau Brons. The Beau Brons. That one drove me nuts. Um, there was the Beau Brons. There was her secret world... I mean, she cheats at card games. That is not true. She yeah. does keep cheating at card games. She'll have she two hands. Has two hands, and it happens every time we play this one game. That's not true, and it's never on purpose. Yeah, she always says it's not on purpose. But how often can you have two hands in one game and say it's not on purpose? You put it down and you forget about it, and then you these just... are the kinds of excuses that they gave to Mia. I was young. I was in love. I didn't want to tell you that you're secretly a princess. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> okay, what's our next point? So point three is when Josh invites Mia to step into his office, which is a little stupid. It's his locker. <laughs> yeah, it's not even his locker. It's like a little wall that they sit on. And he invites her to go to the Baker Beach Bash. He tells her that he broke up with Lana, played by Mandy Moore, over Lana's claim to be best friends with Mia. He's like, I hate people who are fake and just trying to take advantage of you. Yeah, he says he hates phony publicity people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he invites her to the beach bash for the end of the year. And she then goes to Michael and is like, isn't this great? Josh invited me to the beach party. And he goes, oh, but that's Saturday. We're supposed to hang out. And she goes, yeah, I know. So we'll just do it next Saturday. Remember, it's not a date. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. This is Michael's uncomfortableness with saying it, with going to the next step, has now come back to bite him in the butt. Yep. So then the night before the beach party, Mia's talking to her mom. We have the whole discussion about the foot pop and how she wants her foot to pop when she gets her first kiss. Like in an old movie, her foot would kick back behind her. And so she goes to the beach for this party where the first time we see her on the beach, she's actually on a boat with Josh. This boat is his. It's called the Josher, (laughs) which is a horrific name for anything. Yeah, let me just mention, so this party is at baker beach and a couple months ago i went to the renwick's exhibit on burning man and one of the things was saying that one year burning man was held at baker beach in san francisco and i as i read that i was like oh my gosh that's where the party is in the princess diary can i tell you something i have seen baker beach what yes i have did you see a shed in which to give no, a foot I massage didn't see that there were a lot of volleyball nets so it looked kind of fun okay mm-hmm. one thing i do love about that moment though fiona and i both love this is when so the, the press end up coming to the Baker Beach Bash to get pictures of Mia. Right. So at first, they are just hanging out on the beach. They're having a good time. They slow dance on the beach together, uh-huh. Mia and Josh. Lana's looking jealously over. Yeah. Right. And then this news chopper shows up. Yes. And so Mia and Josh run away and hide away in this little shed to get away from the news people. And Josh tries to kiss Mia and she tries to have her foot pop and it gets stuck in a volleyball net. And she's like, we can't do this. This isn't romantic. My foot is stuck. So then they go because down. Because kissing is all about what your foot is doing. <laughs> Mia is Quentin Tarantino. So then they go to sit down and Josh is like, oh, while we're waiting, how about a foot massage? And Mia's like, oh, that would be wonderful. Yes, thank you. And as she's about to put her feet up, Josh is putting his foot up he goes oh i meant you give me one he's such a dirtbag <laughs> he is so gross his hair is so greasy everything about him his is voice is so like oh, hey, yeah. yeah i just i hate lana and phony publicity <laughs> and so then he's like i think they're gone we can go outside and they go outside and they're not gone the paparazzi is waiting outside mia tries to run back in the shed he's like no let's give them what they want and he goes to kiss her and it's this like super uncomfortable kiss yeah and she hits him with a flip-flop and runs away and then she's like trying to hide and mandy moore and her friends are like oh we're mad at josh we'll help you get in this like tent it's a changing tent yeah, yeah. get in this tent and change and then while she's naked don't know how they knew when she was naked 
think there was like a, a crack in the flannel. Oh, okay. They like kick the tent back so the paparazzi catches her just like wrapped in a towel. And it's a whole scandal. And Mia's like, never mind, I'm not going to be a princess because I have been caught looking foolish on a beach. But then Joe, well, Joe saves the day. He says she's been too harsh as a grandma. Yeah. Hector Elizondo's great. He is. So that brings us to... All right, point four. So um, after all that happens, everyone's kind of, all of Mia's friends are kind of upset with her. Lily is upset because Mia ditched her show. Michael's upset because she ditched him to go to the beach party with Josh. So then I guess Michael and Doc fix Mia's car on their own because Mia is paying for it. was not there to help him fix it on yeah, Saturday. But it's still so paying for it. he brings her car to her. Oh, before this, can I touch on two quick things? Yes. Mm-hmm. One, as Mia's coming into her own, she's gaining more confidence. One of the running bits in this movie has been her PE class where she like is incapable of doing anything. We see a softball game in PE and in this scene, Michael is still like rooting for her. He's still like, you got this. It's not a big deal. It's just a game. And Josh is now making fun of her. Yeah, Josh is a jerk. He's being a huge jerk. And Mia, in her moment of triumph, hits a line drive into his crotch. Yeah. And he doubles over. She gets a home run. Also, Mia has this whole falling out with Lily because Mia did not show up for Shut Up and Listen because she was busy with Josh. So Lily had to spend the whole time watching (laughs) some dummy do magic tricks. Jeremiah. Jeremiah do magic (laughs) tricks. And they make up. Lily and Mia talk it out. Mia explains how upset she is. Lily says, I don't want you to not be princess. I want you to be princess. I want you to do all the things you could do with that power. And they hug. And during that hug, Mia's foot pops. If you pay attention to that scene, her foot kicks right out. And I was like, interesting. There's a whole unexplored element to this movie. A foot pop and hug is different than a foot pop and kiss. But it's also different from a hug with no foot pop. Well, that's true. So I think there might be some other topics for Princess Diaries 3 to explore. (laughs) You can suggest that. I will be writing Gary Marshall immediately. (laughs) I'm sure he'll respond to my letter. Well, anyway, so in point four, so Michael comes to bring me his car to her, and... He's um, wearing an orange short sleeve button-down shirt. Yeah, I would like to draw attention to that. Um, and gross. then she thanks him for doing it for her, and he goes, oh, I didn't do this for you. And she's like, oh, yes, yes. It's very awkward. She gives him a check. She so has she a says, really nice thing where she acknowledges his anger. I know what Fiona's going to talk about. I'll let her give her this moment. <laughs> he holds up the little paper machine mask. <laughs> I hate it. She says, I'm going to make it up to you, and you just hear him go... Oh. And he, like, turns his head to the side with a little mask I like on. it. I love the awkwardness of the teenage romance in this so movie. Awkward. So awkward. But anyway, so she's like, I'm going to try and make it up to you. Like, there's this big Independence Day ball. Like, I want you to come. Like, Lily's coming. She's bringing a date, whatever. And he's like, Josh looks better in a tux. And she goes, oh, but it's I want you there. And he's like, Mia, don't worry about me. I'm just royally flushed. <laughs> I hate that line. And then, so he walks then he leaves. out. And then he leaves. He's like... I'm royally flushed. Mic drop. You just saw how cool I am. And there's like sad music playing. Here's the deal with the music. The music in this movie is not bad. But Miracles Happen only plays once in this movie. And it should be like 20 times. It should be back to the future level. Power of love. Yeah. It should be played as often as that. And one of the key things that Back to the Future realizes is that you don't have to play Power of Love in its entirety every time you do it. You can do a little, like, instrumental track. But, like, anytime something good is happening, we should be hearing an instrumental track of Miracles Happen playing. So then at the end, it can be a triumphant conclusion where we finally hear the, like, cascading notes downward into the refrain. Miracles happen once in a while. It'd be great. Yeah. Maybe in the third one. Yeah. I mean, I'm apparently writing the third one, (laughs) so... All right, so Mia is now left alone because Josh walks away. It's really awkward. She does do a really nice job, I think, of acknowledging his anger and the righteousness of his anger. Right. But also, I don't know. He's really defensive. But when she said, is it a date? He said no. And right. You know. And here's the other thing is that she didn't. At least she told him as opposed to Lily. Where Lily actually expected her to be showing up. Yeah. That's true. Also. Can we talk about the fact that Queen Clarice is watching Shut Up and Listen? I enjoyed that. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. Because she hears that Mia's going to be on it, and she's like, I got to find out what she says. I got to find out about saving the otters. <laughs> yeah, there must be a big otter community in Genovia. I mean, there's got to be some kind of community in Genovia besides just pears and nobles. Maybe the otters are the peasants of Genovia. Maybe there should be an otter proletarian uprising in Princess Diaries 3. <laughs> This, this movie's going all over the place. <laughs> I love it. All right, so that takes us, I believe, to point number five, which is the big Genovian Independence Day ball, which is 
for some reason held in San Francisco, and Mia has decided not to go. She's decided to renounce her title because of the foolishness on the beach, and Clarice is like, come anyway, you're still my granddaughter, I still love you. And Mia's like, oh, I'm totally gonna come, I'm definitely gonna come, I'm not gonna come. And so she tells Hector Elizondo, my mom's gonna bring me. And then she tells her mom, Hector Elizondo's gonna bring me. <laughs> and so then they both arrive at the ball, and they're like, where is Mia? And then Hector Elizondo's like, she's gonna run away. And Mia's <laughs> trying to get her car to work, but her car doesn't work, because apparently Michael and Doc do a bad job of fixing cars, do not send your car to them because it doesn't work. Yeah, I never thought about the fact that it was just fixed. Well, also, if you think about it, so she goes to pick, when she's showing Julie Andrews around San Francisco, she picks up the car at that point. Right. Which means, I would assume it's partial. She says, like, thanks, it has to get for the money for my car. So I think it would have already been kind of fixed. And then it has issues then. Because. And then Michael is fixing it. Yeah. And it has issues again. It has to get fixed a second time because they back it the into break. the trolley. Yeah. But yeah, that it doesn't work again. Doc and Michael are not good car repairmen. Do not go to them. It's good that Michael Maybe it's a front for something else. finds a music career again. It's definitely a front for something else. It's a front for the otter proletarian <laughs> revolution. This is where they meet and they have their radical plans and they plan to overthrow the otter bourgeoisie. Maybe Flypaper's two new songs they were going to try out were like... Do you hear the people sing? Hidden message songs about otters. <laughs> Can you sing more? <laughs> yeah, how does, how's the rest of the song go? Uh, I, Michael hasn't told me how the rest of it goes. Oh, you, you talked to Michael. Yeah, he... You said you talked to Julie Andrews, okay? <laughs> She's Spe a real person! Speaking of lies by Fiona, Fiona once claimed to be Harry Potter. <laughs> to her roommate in college. Like, Wait, what happened? Well, I think when she said, no, you're not, you got annoyed and said, yes, I am, right? Fiona, no, her freshman year, her roommate asked her... I never said I was. I just said that my roommate wished she were. No, I'm pretty sure okay, she maybe said, you like, should tell us the story. something, and you said, because I am Harry Potter. No, no, no. Just tell us the story. Okay. She, first of all, must have been snooping around on my computer, because I walk into the room, and she goes, you have weird music. And I said, how do you know? And she goes, I saw your iTunes. So, creepy, number one, vampy. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? She told us she was a vampire, so. So you associate with liars. No, I or possibly she actually vampires. believed she was a vampire. Interesting carry-on. Um, so she admitted to snooping around my computer, saying I have weird music, and I said, oh, like what? And she said, the Harry Potter soundtrack. And I said, it's a great soundtrack. And she said, no, it's not. It's weird. And I said, well, you're just jealous you didn't go to Hogwarts and walked out of the room. Which kind of implies that you did. <laughs> because the reason that you're not upset about it, presumably, is because you did go to Hogwarts. I didn't say those words. Would you agree that it's implied? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Mora, does it count as a lie? I think it definitely implies that she went to Hogwarts. I heard a ding. What? No. There it is. All right. So anyway, Mia's card doesn't work. So she's left alone there weeping in the rain. Hector Elizondo comes and rescues her. Right, but first she sends a pizza to Michael. You're right. Yes. She does. It's astonishing to me that a pizza delivery service agrees to put M&Ms on their pizza, defiling their product. But what I love, extra. I love the guy who delivers the pizza. So he shows up at Michael's door and Michael's like, I didn't order a pizza. And the guy's like, not a, well, it's for you. Unless there's a, another Michael Moskowitz here, we get an order, we deliver. That's our motto. And, and that literally is their motto. The it says that on the box. <laughs> yeah. It says, we get an order, we deliver. And this guy has this like long, pointy ginger beard. But like picture like Scar. The lion. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has a beard like You mean a sexy gay lion? The pizza delivery man's is more scraggly than Scar's is. Yeah, but like that's the kind of beard. The it shape. Is. It's like yeah. it literally like a is a tri it's a <laughs> No, it's not a tuft. It is a tuft. A tuft would be shorter. No, this is like a long It's a plume. No, it's a, it's a grown-out tuft. Because it's not a full beard. It's a no. just on his chin, but then it... So anyway, this down. man... But anyway, so then when Michael gets the pizza, he go, he like motions his own chin as if he has a beard there, and he goes, you don't make pizzas, do you? As though a hobo and, beetle could grow a beard. when we were at the beach a couple weeks ago, we saw a man with a beard like this, and Fiona looked at me and said, more, it's a pizza man beard. No, I straight up said, you don't make the pizza, do you? And you knew exactly what I was referring to. Oh, I did. In so Michael moments. gets the I'm sorry pizza. It's a pizza... That says sorry in M&M's. It looks disgusting. But it looks like a terrible it, pizza. You see him check his watch to see if he still has time to make it. And he scurries away. Right. And so then they both arrive at the ball. Mia announces that she, in fact, does want to be Princess of Genovia. 
And she and Michael dance. Well, no, no, not first. No, 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 you are missing something. That bothers me every time. The queen is dancing with the prime minister, and Mia just stands there looking like an idiot. She's just looking around. Where's Joe? I know. Where's Mr. O'Connell? Why can't one of them step in and not let this newly, like, named princess stand there looking like an idiot? But then Michael makes his way through the crowd. He has to shove his his way past Jeremiah. Jeremiah is kind of like, ooh. The princess is looking at him. <laughs> With his hair slicked back looking gross. <laughs> he was trying to be like Josh. And then um, the they start dancing. Then they go outside. She and Michael start dancing and then they go outside and he says, why me? And she goes, because you saw me when I was invisible. And then they have a foot pop and kiss. Which lights up the garden. I gotta say, the garden with all those lights looks pretty tacky. I did kind of think that. I expect more from Clarice. She seems like a classier lady. Yeah. There's just lights everywhere. It's kind of over the top. The new fountains that she demands don't look good. They look like McMansion fountains. It is a little tacky, yeah. yeah. They could have done better. I expect better from the Queen of Genovia. Well, maybe in Genovia, they would have had higher At the very least, the fountains should be pear-shaped. Oh. It's the only place they didn't let their pear fixation blossom. That's true. Anyway, that uh, brings our movie to an end. In the last scene, Mia's on a plane to Genovia while miracles happen play, and her cat sits on a pillow next to her. Fat Louie. Fat Louie. Spoiled cat. Played over the course of the movie by four cats. Gary Marshall. Really? Gary Marshall referred to two of them as the ones that move and two of them as the ones that don't move (laughs) because they were lazy and wouldn't. Wow. The main Fat Louie is Anna Hathaway's actual cat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Also, her dad is the face in the photo of Princess Mia's dad. Okay, I have a question. Um... Mr. Robitussin, who we have not spoken about at all. Who is podcast, great. But her, like, sad sack neighbor. I love him. I just re- I could be wrong, and I've tried to look this up on IMDb, and I have failed. But I really feel like the one point in the movie where they show her dad, not in the picture, but when he's, like, writing the letter to her by the lake, they only show his back, and I feel like it's the same actor as Mr. Robitussin. That is possible. Here's my question. Isn't Robitussin, like, a, a cough medication. medicine or something? Yes. Why is that his name? I think it's funny. It emphasizes the sad sack nature of the guy, that, like, he is a living cough drop, just, like, something that makes you feel kind of blah. And this is a movie that does that with names. For example, Charlotte, the Queen's assistant, who is played by Kathleen Marshall, whose last name might sound familiar to you. Is she related? It's Gary Marshall's daughter. Oh. Her character's last name, she is Charlotte Cutaway, because she appears in a lot of cutaway shots reacting to things that are happening in the movie. I swear. So Gary Marshall's definitely uh, doing some real tongue-in-cheek stuff. His grandchildren also appear in the movie. They are the two girls that Mia writes autographs for. Oh, by the way, when she's writing autographs, that's another moment when Michael stares at her. Yes. Yes, there's a lot of staring. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we managed to talk a lot, but there's not a whole lot of romance to talk about, hence the innumerable tangents in this episode. I was talking to some of my students today about Fahrenheit 451, and they were saying, like, I'm really into the ideas in this book, but I feel like there are a lot of tangents. And I was like, the tangents are where all the good ideas are. And I kind of feel that way for this episode, because there's not a lot about the romance. But the tangents are wonderful. Yeah. But nonetheless, looking at all this, do we think the romance itself is believable? Yeah, I think so. I think it seems like a like believable high school romance. I do too. It's I the guess, awkwardness yeah. of it that I love. Yeah. Where they are just kind of looking at each other and being like, what? No, it's not a date. We're just friends. We're hanging out. What? No, 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 no. Okay, then I've got a date. What? Yeah. I guess the only reason I thought it wasn't was because you never see them interact, but I guess that is what a high school... Yeah, it's a lot of staring. I feel like, too, it's like, I get the sense it's like they know each other, kind of. I mean, they don't hang out all the time, but, I think there's an added awkwardness. They've known each other for a while because he's, like, her best friend's brother. Which I think brings an added awkwardness to it. Right, I agree. Kind of like when... When he asks her on the not date, and Lily's kind of like running up and is like, "What? Like, kind of like, what are you two talking about without me?" Yeah. She doesn't say that, but it kind of seems like that's what she's thinking. Although there's an interesting moment when Lily is mad at Mia after the night on the beach. They're having their fight on the basketball court, which ultimately leads to their foot pop and hug. One of the first things Lily lists as an attack on Mia is, "You broke my brother's heart." That that is made explicit by sort of the third party of this love triangle, which is canon because of the foot pop and hug. I think that's interesting because I was surprised that that was made so explicit in the movie. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. Where would you rate this overall on our 10 point scale? I guess it would be pretty high. Maybe like a six or a seven. I could almost go an eight. Eight or nine. Yeah. Okay. I think that the high school awkwardness is so believable, is so plausible. Yeah. That yeah, I'm kind of leaning at eight. 
Okay, let's go eight. I can go with eight. Okay, are Mia and Michael dateable? I feel like the answer has to be no. I don't think either of them are. Michael is definitely, like, not a catch. He's too moody and just, like... I will say, it's rare that I so feel characters in a, like, high school rom-com. I'm like, oh, those are high schoolers. A lot of times they act like adults in school. Mm-hmm. These kids act like high schoolers. And I just think Mia is also, like, a little too, like, weird for me, too. <laughs> She's weird and goofy and kind of all over the place, and she just, like, has feelings. Like, yeah. ugh, I'm angsty! Don't talk to me! I'm in my tower! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Which I think is a testament to the truth of it. But doesn't make me want to date them because I am not a high schooler. Yeah. Yeah. So in that case, who would you date? There's a correct answer. I have two. One of them I know is your correct answer. The other one I just thought about right now. Who's the second one? Jeremiah. I actually was also thinking He's such a weirdo. He's kind of good. He's he's nice. He is nice. I thought when they were like, he and Mia are sitting down and he's like, oh, like, you want to see a magic trick? And she's like, no, not really. But like, he's just so, he's kind of sweet. He's like a nice, yeah. He's an earnest magician. He flirts with Lily the first time we see him in the movie. He just walks up behind her, pulls a coin out of her hair and is like, check this out. No, he's like, Shazam. Which like, that I would not be into. But I just feel like in general, he's like a kind, like, nice guy. He's such a little bit goofy. Right. I'm I'm sorry he didn't make the transition to the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I also, he was on my list of people. Okay. The real answer. Is Joe. Oh, yes. Joe. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Who, those of you who listen to that might remember from Pretty Woman, Hector Elizondo also turned up very well in this section of that episode. (laughs) Okay. Joe's a great guy. I... I love when the, he's, uh, they're practicing how to do a princess wave. And he's this is astonishing to me. <laughs> he's driving the car, and when he has to leave to go, he actually mimes, like, putting the car in yes. park and, like, pulling the emergency brake. This is why the proletarian revolution has to come to Genovia. Because when the queen is teaching her granddaughter how to wave, this poor worker has to sit there and pretend to drive. <laughs> they could practice waving just as easily without him there, but the working class is so downtrodden in Genovia that they cannot rise up and stand up for themselves against the tyranny of the monarchs. God forbid the barons take over because they clearly want even more power, but you know what? Maybe they just need a change. I think that Joe was looking for an excuse to hang out with Queen Clarice. Yeah, Joe is so looking too. for an excuse to leave. He parks the imaginary car. No, but anyway, I just think Joe is really sweet too when Lily's making fun of Mia's new look. He's like very like caring he's and very supportive with Mia there. And he also he like listens to their conversations in the back and kind of laughs at them. Yeah. He's, he's thoughtful, like he's funny. Guy. He's nice. He he's good at relating dance. to young people in a way thoughtful. that surprises me. Yeah. Yeah. Joe is great. He's clearly the dateable one. I also kind of feel like Mr. O'Connell, too. I mean, do you know how many unmarried men <laughs> with no tattoos, tattoos or no piercings hair plugs, hair plugs there are south, south of Market, Market Street? Street. <laughs> I think he seems like a good guy, too. For, like, the limited... I guess we see him a little bit. I don't yeah, think he's an amazing character. teacher. Well, I'm not dating him for his teaching skills. I'm judging him based on them, though. He's not as bad as Sandra O. Oh, openly not knowing who students are. <laughs> Those are the only real options. Yeah. Did you have anyone else? No, I was going to go with Joe. Okay. The correct answer. Now, if we ignore the sequel, do we think Mia and Michael would stay together? I don't know. I understand. When she says, like, you saw me when I was invisible, sure, I get that. But I just kind of feel like she would eventually realize that there are some better fish in the sea. He's just not that great. (laughs) He's also bad at fixing cars. Yeah. Yeah. Which is one of his two skills. Once he goes off to college, I think they're done. Yeah, they're done. If we're basing this solely on this movie. Yes. Yeah, and not on the... How many of those books did you read? I think like six. How many I are there? I think there are like 12 maybe. Wow. Uh, if you've read them all, tweet at us, hashtag I've read Princess Diaries, or IRPD for short, if you need a short hashtag oh. for characters, hashtag IRPD, and tell us the plot of any Princess Diaries book that you remember. Just shoot them at us. I want to know what happens in these books, because I don't know. And I think on that note, it's good for us to close down. So next week, Mark is going to be back, believe it or not. It's been a long time. Not for you, but it has been for me. And we're going to be doing a long-demanded listener suggestion, 10 Things I Hate About You. It's on Netflix, so check it out, and then check back in with us next week. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Lastly, of course, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to help other people discover the show. Last question, girls. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? 
you should send someone an apology pizza. That's what I was going to say. I was also thinking pizza. I was going to say send them a pizza with M&M's. I would love it if someone sent me a pizza, and like not anonymously, but like just like they surprise. I would at home in a pizza delivery mansion. On Valentine's Day, Domino's, I think, has heart-shaped pizzas. Like, let me just tell you, if anyone out there is listening, like, this is a great... I'm secretly in love with you. (laughs) Yes. All of the great idea. I was inspired by Lily to start a show and invite potential dates on it just to talk. And so far that has not panned out for me. But I have faith and I'm going to keep working at it. You got to find some other guests. Yeah, this is not panning out. Not family members. Okay. Well, I'll keep trying. Before we go, Fiona, I know you have some exciting news for us that I thought we should share on the show. For years, I've been talking about how I want to start a blog about chicken tenders, where I go around the world, the country, everywhere. This is Fingers on My Mind, the that Fiona Redmond story? Is so I've, this I is have... Fingers Across America, the Fiona Redmond story? Stop. Fingling a ding-dong? <laughs> the Fiona Redmond story? So I have started... A chicken tender blog where I will rate and review chicken tenders across this the country and the world. Tender C. Williams, A no. Literary Journey of Chicken. No. It's called Tender is the Chicken. And the first post went up today. It's about Coastal Flats, my absolute favorite chicken tender. So check them out. Tenderisthechicken.wordpress.com. All right. Check that out. They also have an Instagram. Catch them there. Yep. Also, right. Tender is the Chicken. Okay, Maura, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, no. Just watch Princess Diaries. It's a great movie. And watch it again. And you can learn about Wangos. And even if you are not romantically interested in me, send me a surprise pizza. (laughs) Also look out for statues eating string cheese. (laughs) Until next time, of course, I am a ginger. And I'm a ginger. And I'm not. So between the three of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye!